You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church or service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, it's great to see you all today, and uh, we're currently going through a series which is looking at the Kingdom of Heaven, or otherwise known as the Kingdom of God, synonymous terms, uh, and uh, we're, in particular we're looking at what the Kingdom is like according to the one who sits on the throne of this Kingdom. So what does the King have to say? So far, we've seen that the Kingdom is where God's will is outworked. That's the Kingdom, where... God has his way, where things are done in God's way, and where we yield to that, where we give him room to do that. And the next thing that we learn is that it's not a geographical kingdom. It's not with physical borders, but it is near. It is in our midst. It is too close to ignore, and it requires a response. From us. And that response is repentance, a word that we're not so keen on, but repentance really at its core means to turn. So what we're turning from is our way of doing things, and what we're turning to is God's way of doing things. I don't want to think that I know better than the one who made everything that I see. So we reposition ourselves, we reposture ourselves, and we yield control to the king. And the third thing we learned was that while citizenship is free, it's also the most valuable thing in this universe. It is worth literally everything that we have in our lives and our very lives in order to secure it. In actual fact, it did cost life. Mm. It cost Jesus his life to secure admission for you and for me. That's great Mm. news. Today, we're going to look at how the kingdom grows, how it develops within us, within this church, within this town, within this country, within this world. So that's what we're looking at today, how the kingdom grows. If you've got Bibles, we're going to be going to uh, Matthew chapter 13, and it'll be verses 31 to 33. So it's Matthew 13, 31 to 33. Keep your thumb there, because we'll be going back there in a second. Have you ever felt the frustration of not being what you know you could be or what you should be? Have you ever felt that frustration? Knowing that you should be better. Knowing that you should be further along. You're in good company because Paul says, what a wretched man I am. What a wretched man. And I think we can all look at Paul and go, this guy was great. He knew his stuff. He walked with God. He he had a way of of being in God's presence. He understood what it was to live with plenty and to live with nothing. And he didn't care. He counted it all loss because he knew how good it was to have a relationship with God. Is that right? (laughs) My word. That's loud. (laughs) And yet this guy, this guy says, what a wretched man I am. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Have you ever felt like that? Mm. Have you ever stood back in frustration because the pace of change seems to be painfully slow? In other people? In church? In yourselves? Have you ever felt that frustration? You know that the kingdom's here in our midst, right now, but you find yourself asking why. 
Why, if that's true, does it feel like the kingdom of darkness has right of way on this road? We feel like that sometimes, right? Why, why uh, if as believers, sometimes we're still so badly behaved? Or so immature? Why is it so hard to experience the, the abundant life that Jesus talks about? If the kingdom's here in our midst, why is that so hard? And I guess at some point you even think, is that even a thing, abundant life? Or is it, is it just this thing where I have to go, oh well, I've been kicked in the teeth again, but that's a great life, I love it. You know, is that how we should interpret abundant life? And why is it, if the kingdom is here in our midst, why is it that we, we talk about the power that raised Jesus from the grave being alive in us, and yet we don't see any discernible power on the, in the day by day being outworked in our lives or in the town? Have you ever been frustrated with that? So let's go to Matthew 13, 31 to 33, and this will come up on the screen as well. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Uh, and though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. I want to first deal with a few particulars of this, uh, these couple of parables here that I think will help us understand. Remember last week I said we can get lost in the particulars sometimes. And Jesus, really parables normally have a main point. But sometimes it's really helpful to look at the particulars in order to understand what is the main point. So the first thing that I want to look at, and ladies, you'll love this one. <laughs> Kingdom equality. That sounds unequal, just me saying it, doesn't it? I realise that. Just, it's Father's Day, all right? Just get off my back about that. <laughs> the first thing I want you to notice is that this parable, these parables, the first parable talks about a man working a field. And the second one about a woman preparing food. Now, this is not making a statement about a woman's place being in the kitchen. I'm on dangerous ground this morning. I've got to be very careful. Remember, Jesus was talking to a particular people in a particular culture, in a particular time, in a particular place in history. So, culturally, the first relates to men agriculturally farming the land, and the second to women preparing sustenance. It's not misogynistic. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Kingdom citizenship, kingdom membership, is open equally. Regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of social standing, regardless of intellect or ability, the kingdom is open equally to all of mankind. Amen. One of the best phrases I've ever heard was that the cross is sufficient for all, but efficient for some. The cross is enough for every man and woman who has ever lived. And yet we have to do something with that to make it efficient for us. The cross is sufficient for all, but efficient for some. All need the price that Jesus paid. All need to turn to him to repent. 
So what we understand here is that what Jesus has to say about the kingdom is relevant to you, regardless of the age in which you live, regardless of the culture, regardless of who you are within that culture, this is relevant to you today, as much as it was relevant to first century Palestinians <coughs> back then. Kingdom citizenship is available to you. If you don't know him, come to know him today because it's open to you. And then there's the mustard seed. Now there's a bit of an issue here because I'm sure any modern day gardener or cook would be able to tell you that the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed. You know, I, I've got some whole grain mustard in my fridge and with, with the seeds in it, they're, they're fairly sizable. Uh, and you've probably seen mustard seeds if you've sown them into your, into your gardens or anything like that. You, you'll know that they're not necessarily the smallest seeds. And even the, the black mustard seeds that were used in Palestine in the first century, they're not the smallest seeds known to mankind. But perhaps they were the smallest that they knew of there and then. And then furthermore, Jesus says that this becomes the largest of garden plants. And it becomes a tree. <coughs> but it, it, it doesn't actually become a tree. It becomes bushy. If you leave mustard, and, and not like we know it in the fields, where the fields go yellow, and they're really beautiful to look at, but they're horrendous if you have hay fever when you're driving past them. If you leave that, if you don't cultivate it, if you, if you don't deal with it, it can become a shrub. And, and at its best, this is documented in encyclopedias. Most of the modern encyclopedias will tell you that this shrub can grow to about 12 foot. Uh, and as it gets woody and as it has branches, it's like a woody shrub, I don't know what the technical term is for that. But as it grows, the branches are strong enough for birds to come and land on it. So looking back and seeing what Jesus is saying is really important, the rabbis in this age would refer to a mustard seed as like the proverbial smallest thing. So if they wanted to describe the smallest thing possible, they would use a mustard seed to say that. So you could say, our pastor is basically a mustard seed. Because <laughs> he's really short. Something that is tiny, this is what Jesus is saying, something that is tiny, can become something that is large. In fact, if we, if we look at the parable that opens chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel, the parable of the sower, we see that there's an incredible vulnerability to the seed. We see that it can be crushed, it can be eaten, it can be left out in the rocky places uh, where the birds will pick it up, it can be left in the shallow soil where it might flourish initially but then die away wither away when the heat of the sun comes upon it. Ultimately, a seed that goes into the ground dies in order for life to come from it. And Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. What seed died to cause kingdom growth to be a reality in your life? The seed of Abraham from the line of King David. Jesus, the crucified, buried in the ground. Somebody this morning said about sometimes feeling like defeat in the week, but knowing there's a victory in Christ. That felt like defeat to Jesus' disciples when he was in the ground. 
but it had to happen that life would come from that life that would sustain you. Something that looks small and insignificant, becoming substantial and secure. Out of vulnerability grows strength and safety. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, the mustard seed is referred to when Jesus is talking about faith. And he says that if, even if you have faith just as, as small as a mustard seed, in other words, if you have just the tiniest little modicum of faith in your life, you can do amazing things. Mm-hmm. Tiny amounts of faith. Amazing things. From the small and the seemingly significant to the large and secure. So, honestly, for you right now, even the tiniest little bit that you can do for the kingdom in faith, and even if that faith is tiny, will grow, provide security, provide shelter, provide a place for healing in the lives of people around you. So what we understand here is that the kingdom grows from the tiny and the vulnerable and becomes something substantial and secure. And then there's the leaven, yeast, in your translations. Now the word used in the second story that we've translated as, as yeast actually wouldn't have existed back there. It should be translated really as leaven rather than yeast. Now most places where we see leaven in the Bible it's used in negative terms, isn't it? Like uh, Jesus talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. It's, it's normally used to, to talk about pervasive, caustic spread of sin or legalism or corruption through lives. That's how we normally use leaven. But here, Jesus is using it to demonstrate something positive. So it's a different use of this term. Uh, now, side note, today we, we use yeast when we're baking. I don't know how many of you bake uh, bread. I, I used to do quite a bit. And, and I, we used to buy these waxy little blocks of yeast that stink. And you'd break off a little bit, you would, you would dissolve it in water, and then you would add that to your, your flour and, and, and your water as you'd make your dough. That's how bread is made, that waxy kind of yeast. And, and even if you don't want to use that, because that's hard to find, you can actually buy that dried stuff, almost looks like mustard seeds, in little packets. And you dissolve that, and it's active yeast, so, you know, yields a, a big uh, rise in your bread. But those types of yeast have only been used for the last sort of 150, 200 years in society. So that's our modern understanding. That's why the word is translated as yeast for you in your Bible now, because you understand yeast better than you understand leaven. But first century Palestine, and throughout most of human history, bread making relied upon sourdough. Sourdough is kind of trendy these days. I've, I've looked it up on, the, on YouTube. definitely is. And the leaven of sourdough was a piece of fermented dough, a piece of leftover dough from the previous batch that was left to ferment. And then that bit of dough is taken and it's worked into your new batch. And it has to be kneaded and massaged through that batch so that it permeates everything and causes a rise in everything. Now, it's a bit of a chicken and an egg kind of thing, because you need the dough in order to ferment the dough in order to put it into the new one. So which came first? Well, I've actually made it myself. You need this thing. It probably wasn't called this in Palestine in the first century, but it's called a starter. Okay? And what it is, is you take 
You take water and flour and you mix it together and you leave it and you feed it daily with more water and more flour. And some people even put natural yogurt in there to kind of speed up the process. You can cut the, the process in half in terms of time. It stinks. It's disgusting. It's like a sweaty, vinegary kind of <laughs> bread. It's disgusting. But then it's sour. It's sour. And what you would do after about 10 days of using this and feeding it and then you know, letting it sit in room temperature, then you take that and you mix it in with your flour and with the rest of the water to make your dough. Once you've done that, firstly, you can use that forever. You can keep topping it up. You can keep feeding it as long as you feed it daily. That will not die. That will always, you'll be able to always take some of that. You don't need to use all of it. Take some of that, work it into your dough. You've got a constant raising agent right there. You've got a constant leaven. But you need to work on it daily in order for that life to stay there. Sounds kind of important, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But of course, if you run out of that, you just keep back a bit of the previous dough and then work that into the next batch. Both yeast and starter or sourdough are needed through the dough intentionally. There's purpose involved in this. And just like we need to intentionally spend time with God daily, we, we need to put self-discipline into our relationship with God. We need to draw near. Both yeast and starter or sourdough permeate the entire life and cause change. In this case, rising or expansion. The leaven transforms the dough that is being made. And it's self-replicating. But you've got to work on it to keep it alive. God, abide in me. Abide in me. So the main point here is the transformation. That the kingdom of heaven, like leaven, is transformational. That you only need a little bit in order to make a big impact. God's rule, God's kingdom, transforms life. And what Jesus is saying through these two stories is this, that the kingdom's entrance or beginnings are often missed or often perceived as insignificant because of small, humble beginnings. And growth might seem really slow and it's often hidden. It begins in the secret, in the obscure what can you take from this? Don't despise the little things. Don't scorn humble beginnings. Don't be impatient when others are taking time to grow. Remember in the first message in the series, I quoted Jesus saying that the kingdom's arrival is not something that can be observed but is in our midst. And that was, if you want to write that down, that was Luke 17, 20 and 21. Notice that in both these parables, the kingdom is described as something really small, imperceptible and hidden. Beginnings that look insignificant. Some of you will have testimonies that look like a Damascus Road kind of testimony where you were walking along, minding your own business and Jesus was, boom, there in your story. And there was a radical instantaneous change that occurred in your life that, that was so dramatic that people would love to hear your testimony. And others of you were faithful from being a young child. And the growth of the kingdom in your life might have looked imperceptible. There's no lesson significant. Mm. The seeds, tiny and hidden in the earth until it sprouts, 
And even then, it's fragile. The, the leaven, invisible at work in the dough, but a tiny fraction of the uh, ingredients infects the whole thing. Hidden growth in the secret place, in the heart. Life begins within a veil, within the womb. Life begins with something that's smaller than a baked bean, tiny, hidden, and it's the same spiritually. The way that the kingdom grows in our life starts here in the secret place. It starts in our hearts. It starts transforming us from the, out, from the inside out. If you want to grow, if you want to become strong, if you want to be secure, the kind of disciple who displays the fruit of the Spirit and operates in the gifts of the Spirit, if you want to be the kind of person who reproduces the kingdom, it starts in the secret place. With effort, like kneading dough. There's no shortcuts. You can imitate this. You can imitate being spiritual. You can imitate being holy. But like all imitations, people who know the real deal can spot the fake. But equally, you're not a fake if you make mistakes. You're not, you're not a fake if you're struggling to grow. You're not a fake if you're if sitting in frustration thinking, I should be better, I should be further along, I should be more than what I am right now, I should be more of a disciple, I should be more holy than I am right now. That does not make you a fake. Don't beat yourself up for messing up. It's not about being better or smarter or more knowledgeable or more holy the kingdom in you begins in the microscopic realm, like a seed growing beneath the soil, and like leaven bringing expanse to the whole dough. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you become the least. If you want to be a servant, uh, be a leader, be a servant. If you want growth in your life, you've got to spend time with Jesus. You, you can't rely on the Sundays and the Wednesdays to be your spiritual food. You need to be working that leaven through the week. You need to be feeding that starter daily. Spending time, be intentional, put yourself before Jesus and you will struggle with that sometimes because you'll sit there and your mind goes blank or the opposite will happen and you'll be thinking about everything that needs doing in your home or your garden or who you need to run to school or whatever. Everything will try and creep in when you want to spend time with Jesus, but fight that, spend time with Jesus, you will grow. The kingdom will grow in you and you become more and more effective in this town by spending more and more time with him. God begins things in the secret but makes them significant. Everyone who you see on the global scene in terms of Christian leadership, who there's a power and anointing on their ministry Every single one of them has learned to spend time with Jesus daily and, and will invest in that above everything else. Every one of them, guaranteed. There's no reason why you can't have that same relationship with God. He takes the meagre and he makes it meaningful. What have you got to offer? Ian spoke a, a couple of weeks ago and, the, and his title was about the, the little bit of oil. What have you got in the house? Mm-hmm. I, all I've got is this, God. Mm-hmm. It's not much, but God's saying to you today, it's not going to run out. Use that faithfully, it's not going to run out. God takes us to significance, smallest to greatest. A man who was born in a borrowed animal trough, grew up in a small community, in an obscure region, 
in a tiny country 2,000 years ago is responsible for a global church that is established in most nations of the world <coughs> and has a family-like membership that stands at around 2 billion people. One man, 12 disciples, and a 72 as well, but a small number. Look at the church. Christianity is still the biggest religion in the world. Yes, it's being caught up by Islam, but it's still the biggest in the world. Yes, some of that number will be nominal Christians who believe they're Christians because they live in X country or Y country, or because they go to church weekly and that makes them a Christian. Yes, there'll be some people there that haven't quite understood the relationship with Christ. Yes. But that's still a huge number. But if you think that that means the work's done and that Jesus is about to pop back, consider this. Even two billion people is less than a third of the world's population. There's still work to be done, guys. You, you need to be one of the people carrying the kingdom into your community. It's you. It's you. About, out of all the Christians, about 1% of them, I heard this quote the other day, about 1% of those Christians are paid ministry leaders. 99% uh, of those Christians are congregation people. Now, the 1% exists to fire up the ministry of the 99% and not the other way around. You are not here to pay for my ministry. I'm here to pay for yours. You're not here to encourage me by being in church to be more of a leader. That's not your purpose here. It's my purpose to do that to you. It's my purpose to say you are the evangelists. You are the ones who carry the flame. I carry it with you, but my job is to encourage you to have that purpose, to see that purpose, to be the little bit of leaven that is worked through the dough. If this tiny amount of Christians, 2% in this town, if this tiny percentage of Christians was needed through the dough that is bonus then that leaven will work through the entire dome and we will see transformation. The leaven of the kingdom is kind of like the Holy Spirit. He's been working in your life, invisible at first, but expansively powerful, relentlessly reproducing holiness in your life. That's the process we call sanctification. Just like the baker makes the sourdough, God is making you to have impact. I, I want you to hear that today. I'm off my notes now. I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> I want you to hear this today. God is not finished with you. Amen. I don't care how old or infirm you might be. God has not finished with you. He's not finished the work of sanctification in you. That's still ongoing because none of you in this room are perfect. Myself included, obviously. But also he's not finished using you 
as a beacon, as a candle, as a light in the darkness, as a bit of leaven in the bread that's not going to rise, as a, a tiny little seed in the ground that's vulnerable, that could be snapped up and eaten by birds, that a seed that has to die in order to produce life. And what death needs to occur on your behalf, apart from Jesus who has already done that for you, do you still need to die? Yes, you do. We're not talking about physical death, but we die to ourselves daily. That is repentance, that's turning, that's daily, having this posture, this attitude of, God, this is what I want, but I'm going to let that go, because this is what you want. This church will expand because we allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives individually and together. We, we've got to stop asking for people just to magically come through the doors. I don't think it's wrong to stop praying that, but we've got to stop imagining that that's the, the answer, that the more we pray that people will just come through these doors. It will happen. It won't happen. It hasn't happened like that in 2,000 years. It's not going to start happening now. The way that growth happens in every church is that the church get it and they become invitational. It's that the church gets it and they become the leaven. It's that the church gets it and they become the mustard seeds in the ground. It's that they get it, they become the candles that collect together to make a giant flame. It's the church getting it, it's you, it's me, realising that evangelism is our responsibility no matter who we are, no matter how old we are, no matter what our circumstances are, evangelism is our responsibility. Now that doesn't mean that you, I'm asking you to learn a script and go down to town and speak that script out to people like in a mechanical way. What it means is this, have you got neighbours? Have you got family who don't know Jesus? Are there people that you come across in Tesco's or Lidl's that don't know Jesus? Can you be leaven? It's not even just about the words you speak. It's about who you are. It's about being Christ in this location. This town will not change if you leave it up to the five or six pastors in this town. It will not change. Now, what I want to do briefly is just take this from being sounding like I'm telling you off, because I'm really not. And by the way, if you struggle to talk to people about Jesus, join the club. Yes, I'm a pastor. Yes, I've been to Bible college. Yes, I've, I've had some years in ministry and what have you. But I struggle with that. I find it hard. I, I feel the pinch when society wants to push faith out of the window. I feel that. I struggle. I struggle with obedience. I, I struggle with it when I know that God's saying, go speak to that person. I'm like, you're kidding me, God. I'm going to go buy myself an ice cream Mars bar or something instead. I, I understand it. It's vulnerable. But listen, out of vulnerability comes strength and safety. What God has birthed in your heart will often be invisible in the beginning. So I'm not saying to you, let's just all go and pretend we're busy quickly now, you know. I learned at school when I was a teacher, if the head teacher was around, just pick up a clipboard and walk around doing this, because you look really busy, you look like you know what you're doing. You know, don't walk around like this, carry that clipboard, you're on it, it's okay. You know, I'm not suggesting that we all get spiritual clipboards this morning to go, oh, yes, yes, I'm busy, I'm busy, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what you've asked. 
What starts in the secret of your heart is the powerful thing. What God is birthing in your heart is the powerful thing. That, that bit that's stirring now that makes you think, I, yes, I feel this, I want to do something, but I don't know what. That is the powerful seed right there. Let him water it. Let him massage that through the dough. Spend time with him. He'll be faithful to that. Did you know that you can be responsible for massive transformation in this town if you yield everything to him so you have your way? You can be part of that. So, wrapping up, you might feel frustrated because you think you're not what you know you could be or should be. Or because the pace of change seems painfully slow in your lives or in others. We find it easier in others, don't we? <laughs> than ourselves, you know, the pace of change. Cultivate that secret place. Give him room in your life. Because God begins things in the secret and makes them significant. He, he takes the ego and he makes them meaningful. And the, the kingdom is here, it's in our midst. And sometimes, yeah, it does feel like the kingdom of darkness is gaining ground. And sometimes, yeah, believers do behave badly. And sometimes, yeah, we are slow to mature. And it's hard, I agree, to experience that abundant life. Cultivate the secret place. Hang on in there. Be faithful to the faithful one. Because God begins things in the secret and makes them significant. And he works with the meager and makes them meaningful. You want to see that power that raised Jesus from the grave at work in you and this church. Cultivate that secret space. Stop trying to negotiate with God. Instead, give him honour and worship. Because God takes the secret things and makes them significant. And he takes them meager and makes them meaningful. Can we stand together? Holy God, we wreck you.